So um, this time when I taught, they did something new. They sent, the church sent out this um, form that we needed to fill out so that they could introduce us. And one of the things that it had on there was name some kind of a fun fact. Did you see what the fun, my fun fact was? My fun fact is I have moved 22 times. And as I was thinking, what's a fun fact about me? You know, yes, I'm a foodie, but fun fact. So I actually started writing down, how many times have I moved? I know I've moved around a lot. So I wrote down all the different places that I went from the time that I was born until now. 22 times I have moved. So you guys all probably think the first question everyone asked me, oh, you must be in the military. No, I was not in the military. My dad was not in the military, but my dad was in the transportation industry. And so what he did was there would be companies that um, his company would buy, and my dad was in charge of basically going in and um, building up these companies. And then once they got built up, they'd buy another company. And so this caused me to move every single year, up until sixth grade. I was in a different school, except for one year, I was in two different schools up until the sixth grade, until we landed in Tuttle, Oklahoma. Well, the bad thing about moving around a lot is it kind of stinks to move around a lot. But the good thing is, is I knew how to make friends. Because if I wanted to have friends, I had to go out and I had to initiate that. So I would literally go door to door whenever I'd move to a new city or a new town, and I would knock on doors asking if there was any kids for me to play with. And in the sixth grade, I went to one door in Tuttle, Oklahoma, and opening up the door was my new best friend, Stacy Jennings. I invited her over to my house, and I let her listen to all my Grease records and all my Olivia Newton-John failures on the 45s, and she still wanted to be my friend after that. In fact, she liked me so much that she invited me to a slumber party, and she introduced me to her whole entire group that they had all been together, and these became my best friends up until to this day. We still have a group chat that we all talk. But my sophomore year in high school, I had a bomb dropped on me. My dad came home and said, guess what? We've been transferred again. We're moving to Seattle, Washington. No, please don't do this. I'm in high school, right? Moving away, it's different when you're a kid, but when you're in high school, it's different. And so I was devastated. I felt torn away from those that I loved, the sisterhood that I finally had. And all my friends wrapped up all these presents for me. And they told me, you can't open these until you're in the car and you're, you're getting out of town. And I didn't understand why until I was in the back of our truck. We had a camper shell with a carpet kit in there. Back then, I guess we didn't have, have seat belts. I don't know. But I remember like sitting in the back of the car and I had some big packages in the back of the truck. And so I start tearing open these packages and my friends are following behind me as we're heading out of town and I'm bawling my brains out. And these, these packages are my street sign from this, the, the street that I lived on. I had, um, we had a Sonic there. It was the only restaurant that we had in our um, town in Tuttle. It was a really small town. They gave me the tray that goes and sits on your window. So they had all these fun little gifts to give me so that my mementos when I moved away that I could have that would remind me of them. And so we moved into our new home and I would literally climb out my window at night and I would sit on the roof and I would call all my friends every single night. And the reason I did that is because I would look up at the stars and I would think, this is this world that we live in, they're not that far away. We're living, we have the same stars that we're looking at and it made me feel closer to them. At this time, we did not have unlimited long distance. So my first phone bill came in a box 
and my parents were not happy with me, but I didn't care. I was like, you tore me away from my friends, and I, it was the only way that I could feel close to them. I would write them letters, I would look at pictures. And as we were studying this lesson, I was thinking about one of our questions, and our lesson was, have you ever been pulled or torn away from someone, and how did that make you feel? And all I could think about was this moment, and how devastated I was as a kid to be pulled away from this sisterhood that I had. And even though those relationships pale in comparison to the relationship that Paul had with the Thessalonians, it still gives you the idea of his feeling of having to be pulled away from those he loved. Paul wrote them to encourage them, the Thessalonians, to stay strong in their faith. And he tells them how much he loves them and his desire to see them despite the circumstances that was keeping them together. And he promises them that you know, there will be persecution, but he wants them to stay, stay strong. Those are the things that Paul is telling those that he loves. So I'd like for you all to turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. We're gonna finish this chapter today. And we know that these are some of the most heartwarming verses in all of scripture of Paul pouring out his heart to those that he loves and that he cared for. These were more than friends that he had, they were family. And we've seen in the last couple of weeks how Paul has referred to them. He's referred to himself as like a mother. He's referred to himself as like a father. And in our passage, he refers to himself, to them as brothers. In chapter, seven, uh, chapter two, starting in verse 17, it says, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. So Paul pours out his heart to them. And he's, the thing that I want you guys to remember is he's only been with them for weeks, maybe a few months, but yet he has this passion and this desire to be with them. John Stott says, we can hear Paul's heartbeat and we can see his tears. So why, is Paul, why did Paul have to go away? Well, just as a reminder, back in Acts 17, we are reminded why Paul had to leave the Thessalonians. It wasn't by choice. As you'll remember, Paul came in, he preached the gospel, and many were saved there. And this was a new church. These are new Christians that are growing. And what happened is you had some angry Jews that came in and they were mad. They did not want them to be converting to Christianity. So in verse uh, Acts 17, verse five, it says, the Jews were jealous and they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. So we know that there's this angry mob that comes in. They're looking for Paul, but they settle for Jason. And Jason, there's some kind of transaction that takes place. In verse nine, it says, when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So there was something that happened with Jason and these angry Jews, that there was a transaction that took place that the Jews, the mob um, died down, they went away, but it was almost like there was some kind of a promise that they would send Paul away. And that's when Paul was sent away. He didn't go away on his own. He was sent away because he had to. In 1 Thessalonians 3, we see Paul's attitude about leaving. Um, and we're gonna study this next week. It says, 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, therefore, when we could no longer bear it, being separated from them, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. 
So he couldn't stand it anymore, so he sent Timothy to kind of go check on him, go check on him and see how they're doing. And Timothy came back with this great report that they're doing great. These new Christians that, um, that, that, you, that were saved because of you sharing the gospel, they're growing in their faith, they're doing well, and Paul was so excited to hear that. And if you'll remember back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, this is what Paul told them in his letter. He said, because, of our go- because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy and of the Holy Spirit. Verse seven, so that you became an example to all believers. So we know that this group of Thessalonians that Paul had taught were now doing the same thing to others. They were being an imitator of Paul and the love that Paul had. They were now showing that, that same love for others and bringing others to Christ. So if we look, we're gonna dive into first, uh, just verse 17, let's look at that. Um, Paul pours out his heart to them. He tells them how much he loves them. It says, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. This word torn away, I want you to underline that. Torn away in Greek comes from the word orphan. So what Paul is saying is an orphan is someone that has been either pulled away from a parent or it can be a parent pulled away from a child. And I think we can all agree that there's nothing worse that you could ever see on the news is to see a parent lose a child or for a child to lose a parent. It's just not the way it should be. I was watching something on my computer one day when I got to work, checking my Yahoo News, and up shows um, this woman in Texas. She was going for a walk down the street with her eight-year-old daughter, and as she was walking, a car pulls up, pushes her down, grabs her eight-year-old, and and pulls her eight-year-old in the car and drives away. Someone um, caught this on their ring doorbell and they saw everything happen. And you see this woman running up and down the street screaming and neighbors coming out and the car is driving away. And she's begging on the news, you know, please help me find, you know, my daughter. Can you imagine that feeling? The feeling that she had not knowing, is she okay? Is she gonna die? Who's the person that she's with? that feeling of separation, this is the word that Paul used. He didn't go away because he wanted to, he was torn away. He felt like an orphan, that his kids had been pulled and torn away from him. He says that this was only for a short time. So we understand that Paul is thinking that his intentions are to go back. He says, for a short time, this is temporary, in person, not in heart. So he's saying, I can't physically be there with you, Thessalonians, but my heart is there. He's saying that you might be out of my sight, but you will never be out of my mind. And then it says, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Eager means he's in a hurry. It's some kind of shortness of breath and passion that he wants to, anticipation that he wants to be with them. And then he uses the word with great desire, which is the Greek word epithemia, which comes from any kind of passion or driving desire to do something. So this passage is saying that Paul has this anticipation. He has a strong, passionate desire to see them face to face. And in a world of social media, we can all agree that there is nothing that takes the place of face-to-face contact. 
you can Skype with someone, you can FaceTime with someone, you can text with someone, but being able to be with someone face-to-face -face and have that interaction, nothing takes that place. I'm experiencing that right now. My husband um, has been traveling out of town for the last month, probably will go through the end of the year, and he leaves on Sundays. Sundays after church, we start doing his laundry, he's packing his bag, and I can tell you the gut feeling that I have when I know he's about to go away, it hurts. Even though we can text each other every night or do FaceTime calls, it's not the same to have him right next to me. He comes home on Thursday nights, he changes his clothes, and he heads to Awana. So I have Friday, Saturday, and he leaves Sunday. I miss him. We see that with military families. Ask any military family. Have any of you ever watched any of those military videos when the soldiers come home? I sat at my desk one day and I was crying because I was thinking, you know, trying to get into the mind of Paul and like, what is it that he's feeling, this, you know, being torn away? And for those of you that have seen any of those, you know, they write letters and they can FaceTime. But when you see a soldier walking into a child's classroom to come greet his son, and you see the son, he's sitting there and he's writing, you know, doing his homework, and all the kids look up, and the soldier walks in with his uniform on, and there's kids bawling, and when that kid sees his dad, he runs to him, he embraces him, he holds on tight and does not want to let go. Paul didn't have the technology that he could FaceTime those there. Paul said the same thing in Colossians 2.5. He said, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith. Paul had this kind of passion for them. And to think that he was only there for a few weeks to a few months. He wanted to have face-to-face -face contact with them. And like Paul We've only been in women's Bible study for two months. We're going on two months, ladies. And I know some of you have been in women's Bible study for years and you look around this room and you know one another. But for those of you that are new, you don't. It's been two months. But can we look around the room and say that we have that same kind of passion for each other? That if women's Bible study were to end tomorrow and we weren't able to meet back here again, would you miss them like that? Would you feel like you had been orphaned and torn away from your, from your child? Like Paul, if we're gonna see church is like our family, we need to point one, plan to enjoy life together. Ladies, we need to not just know of who is in this room, but we need to know who each other are. We need to invest and be getting into each other's lives. Hebrews 10, which the worship team, I love how the worship team puts so much thought into our, our, our music, worship that we, that we sing, and then the verse that they put up was what we were talking about today. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, says, let us consider, which think about, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, and that's capitalized D, which means when Jesus returns. So all the more as the day draws near. So it says that we need to stir one another up. This word stir up means to pester. Ladies, we're supposed to be getting into each other's lives and pestering one another. Pestering in a good way, but pestering one another. This is encouraging one another when they don't come to women's Bible study to come back, come to church, come to the events that we have. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one sharpens another. So let me ask you, how many of you have an accountability partner in here? Raise your hand if you have an accountability partner. 
Yeah, we should all have an accountability partner. And so in our groups today, I would like for you guys to talk about that. If you don't have an accountability partner and it's something that you desire to have, can you talk to your group about that? Let's pair people up so that we have someone that is pestering you. It's someone that's not just gonna text you and say, hey, have you done your daily Bible reading? But it's someone that you're gonna meet with and have lunch with. It's someone that you're gonna get to know. It's someone that you're gonna go on walks with. It's someone that you're gonna spur one another on in your Christian walk. To enjoy life together means we have to spend time together. And it's not just coming to women's Bible study, going to our groups and talking about our lessons. It's after that we say, hey, you wanna go have lunch? You wanna go have coffee? You wanna go, have, go for a walk? And I know a lot of people, they're like, I can't do that. I'm not good at initiating that. I don't wanna ask someone to go and do something. Well, guess what? We, the church, has put together so many opportunities for us to get face to face and get to know one another and spend time together. If you could put up the slide. Carlin shared this um, yesterday or the day before on Facebook and I was so thankful for it because we have something going on every single day at our church that gives us opportunities that we can be together. We have women's Bible study. Congratulations, you guys are all here. That is great. But guess what? We do have empty seats out here. As women's Bible study goes on, sometimes we see people fade away. That's not what we should be doing. We need to be filling these seats and inviting more women to come to women's Bible study. I think it's funny that we had, not funny, but it's great. In our high school ministry, they have campus lunches once a month where they, the kids, our high schoolers, are inviting people at school, which is the scariest place to be reaching out to people in high school, inviting people to come, hear the gospel message, and then inviting them to church on Wednesday nights. If our high schoolers can do that, I think we should be able to do that. But look at all the different things we have up here. We have Thrive that is for young married couples. We have a new ministry called Abide, which is for couples of teenagers. We have Alliance, which is for young professionals. We have Together, which is another new ministry for our single parents and our singles. We have Encore for seniors and The Bridge for our college group. We also have home fellowship groups that meet in each other's homes. And then in our kids' ministry, we have The Edge, we have The Narrow, and we have True North, which is for our middle school, our junior high, and our high school. And as a parent, if you have a child that is in, is in that age group, ladies, as long as they're living in your home, you have the say to say where they should be. They need to be plugged into one of those groups if they like it or not. Trust me, the investment there is, is worth it. We have no excuses. But it's not just about us going, going to these things and getting to know one another. It's once you um, have been invested in, you are called to invest in someone else. Second Timothy 2.2 tells us that you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. This word men is better translated as people. So you are to entrust a faithful people who will be able to teach others also. So you're like, well, how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to learn the things that I'm learning and then you want me to teach it to someone else? Yes, we do. And that's why we have partners. Is there anyone in here that has gone through partners? Raise your hand. Great, a lot of people. Is there anyone in here that has not gone through partners? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a few hands. So. If you have not gone through partners and it's something that you would like to do, I would love to take you through partners. I have an open spot. 
Um, I'm eager, I'm ready, come up to me after. I would love to get to know you and take someone else through Partners. Partners is a one-on-one -on -one discipleship program that was written by our pastor, Pastor Mike, and it's a time that um, the two of you go together um, through these chapters one-on-one, -on -one, and it's to, it's to help you grow in your spiritual walk. But at the end of this, when you have completed Partners, it's then your responsibility to take someone else through this program. We need to make time in each other's lives, and I get it, I know it's hard. I work full-time, and I've got a busy schedule. But at the end of our life, I don't think any one of us would ever say that it was a waste of time. I spent too much time investing in my church family. Paul intensely loved his church and he was committed to sharing the gospel and giving his life to them. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, he said, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. As Christians, we have two expectations. The first in Matthew 22, 37 tells us that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And you know what the second expectation is? That we are to love your neighbor as yourself. And as a parent, I know what it means to love someone else more than myself. And we can all agree. As a parent, there's a lot of things that you give up for your kids, right? The other day, Hannah was sick. I gave up my sleep next to her over the commode. I give up money to be able to go shopping and to do things because of needs that my kids need. There's things that we give up for our kids, but this passage, our, the neighbor, is not talking about our personal family. It's talking about our sisters in Christ. It's talking about our church. We need to love your neighbor as yourself. We need to be investing in the lives of one another. And I can tell you firsthand that how thankful I am for the people in this church that have done that for my kids. My son is a senior this year, and the man that he is today, I give a lot of that credit for those that have invested in him. At a very young age, he started, he, he, we've been here since the beginning, um, but he's had a group of leaders that have come alongside him starting in junior high that have invested in him and have poured into him. And it's not just coming to, to their small groups and spending time with them. Um, Pang is his leader and Pang would come and he would pick him up before Cameron could drive and he would take him to Ultimate Frisbee every Saturday morning, like 6, 6.30 in the morning. There was another leader, Mr. Andrade. He would drive from Santa Margarita all the way to our home in Ladera to pick Cameron up to take him when Payne couldn't get him. They take him out to a Korean barbecue. They come over and play games with him. They, um, they text. They spend so much time together. Recently, they come to all of his football games. And it was funny, one of our high school girls came up and she saw the whole group sitting there and She's like, I can't believe you guys are here. She goes, I'm here because I have to be, but you guys are choosing this. And we had these leaders that were laughing and they're like, yes, you know, this is family. We love him. This is why we're here. If you've been blessed by someone like that in your life, can you thank them? We all have a lot to learn from people like that that have invested. We have Carlin and Stephanie, and I have my Sabrina. We all have someone like that. If you have someone like that in your life that's invested in you or is invested in your kids, it's your responsibility then to invest in somebody else. And unfortunately, we have distractions that keep us from doing that. We have um, things that get in the way of us wanting to have this face-to-face -face contact. And you see it when you go out to restaurants and you see kids that are all gathered, but it's not just kids, it's us as well. 
What do you see when everyone's getting together with face-to-face -to -face contact? Yes, their phone is in their face. Can we put the phones away? Can we invest in face-to-face -face contact with one another and talking to one another and getting to know one another instead of getting to know one another through their Facebook page? Paul knew that the enemy was preventing them from being together and the enemy is preventing us as well. And he tells them that he wants to physically be there, but he can't. In verse 18, he says, I wanted to come to you again and again, but he couldn't. And so why couldn't he? Well, our verse tells us that Satan hindered us is what he says, Satan hindered us. That word hinder is a military word and it means to tear or break up the road to prevent the enemy to come over. So you have this army that is sitting there and what you would do is in the military, they would tear and break up the road that it would hinder the, the progress of the enemy coming to attack you. And that is the word that Paul is using. So Satan wants to tear up the road. He wants to prevent us from having this face-to-face -face contact with one another. We don't know the circumstances that kept Paul from going, um, but we know that, and he, Paul knows that it was Satan that was keeping him from going. We know that Satan knew the growth that was happening with the Thessalonians. Paul was preaching to them, many were being saved, and he wanted it stopped. Ladies, do you understand that Satan, he doesn't want us together. He doesn't want you here. And when you don't come for any reason, Satan has won and he has hindered you. He doesn't want you coming to church on Sunday. And when you choose other things over that, Satan has won and he has hindered you. And like Paul, if we're going to overcome this, number two on our outline, we need to expect opposition. We need to be aware of the enemy and what he's doing to try to keep us apart. Satan wants to put roadblocks in your life to keep you from getting to, want, getting to know one another. Spurgeon said this about this verse. He said, since the first hour in which goodness came into conflict with evil, it has never ceased to be true in spiritual experience that Satan hinders us. He hinders us when we are first coming to Jesus Christ. And now that we are saved, he endeavors to hinder the completeness of our personal character. And it should be no surprise to think that Satan wants to hinder you that he wanted to hinder Paul, that he wanted to hinder Job. Remember what he did to Peter? Jesus told Peter that Satan was gonna hinder him. In Luke 22:31, 31, Jesus said to Peter, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Do you know what sifting wheat is? It's the process where you have a basket and you toss the wheat up in the air and you shake it violently to get the wheat out. So it's a process of tossing and shaking, tossing and shaking. And this is what Jesus is telling Peter he wants to do. He wants to toss you up and shake you around until you fall. And what does Peter say to Jesus? No, that's not gonna happen. He says, I'm gonna go to prison or death. And Jesus says, no, that's not gonna happen. You're gonna deny me, but you're gonna get restored. He's gonna get you temporarily, but he's not gonna get you permanently. And I wanna encourage you in that. If you have fallen and Satan has hindered you, and you're a child of God, he's not gonna get you permanently. In verse 32, Luke 22, 32, Jesus goes on to Peter to say, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, I want you to strengthen your brothers. And that's exactly what Peter did, right? We have many stories of how Peter strengthened because of what he did. <clears throat> 
We know that Satan can only do what he can do within the limits that God allows. God allowed Satan to sift Peter and God allowed Satan to hinder Paul. Why? Because in Peter's weakness, he was made strong. In Paul's weakness, he was made strong. The Lord, the Lord can take any deed, whether it's Satan or man, and he can turn it around for his purpose and his glory. And you know what? I'm kind of glad that Satan hindered Paul from going back because if he didn't, we wouldn't have this letter in our laps, right? You and I have the privilege to read these words that Paul sent to the Thessalonians to encourage them, which has in turn encouraged us. So Paul tells them that once he's restored, he wants them to strengthen his brothers. So ladies, we're called to strengthen one another. That's what we need to do. And that's what's so great about having this one-to-one accountability and face-to-face contact. When you fall, you have your Christian family sisters to pull you back up. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 tells us that we need to be careful and expect Satan's attacks. Satan is referred to as a lion. In verse eight, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so the strategy of the lion, the lion doesn't go after the herd. You never see that, right? Whenever you watch any of those shows, the lion's not going after the herd. He's going after the one that's alone over here all by itself. So Peter is saying, Jesus is saying to Peter, be sober-minded, be watchful. We need to be on the offense. We need to recognize that we will have a spiritual battle. We will be attacked and we can't be alone. God is trying to pull us together and have face-to-face contact while Satan is trying to to pull you apart. Satan wants you to have some other kind of priorities that's keeping you from coming here, from coming to church, and from growing with each other. Pastor Mike once said, God's will for you is to congregate while Satan's strategy in your life is to isolate. Don't isolate yourself, ladies, please don't. And I can tell you, I know it's hard being the new person. We have groups in here in women's Bible study that have been together for a long time. And you have your own groups and you're comfortable with one another. But we do have new people that are coming in. When I moved away my sophomore year, it wasn't like when I was in elementary school. I was older, people already had established their groups and it was hard to move to Washington because people didn't want to let me in their group there. It wasn't as easy as a sophomore to go door to door knocking and asking if someone wanted to play with me, right? (laughs) And so I think of that with our groups that we have here. How many women do we have here that are new? And I asked that on Tuesday morning and a woman actually came up to me after. She was new from Newport Beach. She didn't know anybody. She wants to be part of this family. Ladies, if you're new here and you want a friend and you want someone, you want to be a part of this family, please come up and talk to me. Talk to someone in your group. Satan does not want us to be there for each other. In Ecclesiastes 4.12, we know how important it is for us to have each other. It says, in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and is not another to lift him up. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We need to make sure that the friends that we're choosing are the right kind of friends, that they're the ones that are actually gonna be pulling us up and not the friends that are gonna be pulling us down. Satan wants you to have bad friends, you know that? You know that's one of his ways of hindering you? 
There's a book that C.S. Lewis wrote, and it's called The Screwtape Letters. And um, it's a novel of letters. And it's basically, you have this senior demon, and his name is Screwtape. Screwtape, and he's writing to his nephew that's learning to be a demon, and his name is Wormwood. And basically, what he's doing is he's mentoring this junior demon to um, try to pull this, this, who they call a patient. It's this, this man um, that they're wanting to pull away from God. And one of the things that he said in there was, he's like, oh, Wormwood, this is great. You don't have to do much work now because the patient is doing it all on his own. He's chosen friends that will pull him away from God. So think about that. Do you have friends in your life that are pulling you away from God? Are there other people here that maybe you need to be investing more in that are pulling you towards God and in your sanctification? We need to be careful who we are spending our time with. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Satan wants to hinder you because he doesn't want you to be a Christian. He doesn't want you to be faithful. He doesn't want you to be truthful. He doesn't want you to share the gospel. He doesn't want you to stand up for Christ and he doesn't want you here. Paul lived his life of himself looking forward to the day when Christ would return and celebrating with those that have come to Christ with him. That's what Paul's life was all about. And we see that in verse 19 of chapter two. This is the climax of this chapter of what Paul is looking forward to and why he poured his heart into the Thessalonians and anyone else that he shared the gospel with. In 1 Thessalonians chapter two and verse 19, Paul says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus it is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. See, Paul is anticipating what it's gonna look like when Christ come, comes back. In this passage, he's not talking about how great it's gonna be with God, although we know that Paul is anticipating that. But what he's saying is, it's, isn't it, it, what he's praising is who is gonna be there with him. Paul says, who will cause the joy coming out of my heart when Jesus comes? Is it not you? It's the presence of you in Jesus's presence. My crown of boasting before our Lord is you. That's my joy, that's my hope, that's my crown. You are my glory and joy. This crown he's referring to is a crown that they, it's like a victory wreath that they would put on athletes when they had won something. And so Paul is saying that his crown, his trophy, are those that have come to Christ through his ministry. That's pretty powerful. He's reminding us that the greatest accomplishment of our lives are gonna be the people that we bring to Christ. When we stand before Christ, our greatest treasures, they're not gonna be your fancy cars. They're not gonna be your accomplishments at work. They're not gonna be your kids. They're not gonna be your home. They're not gonna be your bank account. It's gonna be those that you brought to Christ, the investment that you made in your life with each other and the church. Think about that. Like Paul, we need to point number three, celebrate our spiritual successes. And ladies, this is something that is either convicting to you or it's exciting. Do you know anyone that you can think of that you can celebrate those victories of successes with, that you can anticipate seeing them in the presence of the Lord and you can celebrate that because you know that you had a part in that. And if you don't, ladies, it's not too late. Paul has poured out his heart in this letter that his worst pain is being separated from them, but his greatest joy is seeing their faith grow and anticipating celebrating their lives together when Christ returns. 
We see this in baptisms. I love watching baptisms. Coming and I, I, I watch all three services just to hear the story after story of those that are saved. But what gets me so much is not just those people that got saved, but how they call out the people that, are, that brought them there, the people that invited them to church, our revival camps that we have, all the people that invested, invested in them that helped save their soul. That is exciting. It's not just in uh, Thessalonians that Paul talks about this. In 2 Thessalonians 1.14, Paul said to the Corinthians, one day uh, on the day of our Lord Jesus, we will boast of us as we boast of you. This joy that Paul is talking about in our passage is the kind of joy that a parent gets of a child. And so many times you have to relate that to a child because we're thinking, you know, how can I have the kind, that kind of joy right here with my sisters, right? How, how can I have that same kind of joy that I have for my child when he does something good or she does something good? And I can tell you as my son Cameron has grown and it's um, his senior year and there's many things that I, he's, he's brought me joy in many areas. There's many areas he has not brought me joy, but there are many areas this year that he has brought me joy. He's um, on the football team. It's his last year on varsity, and it's been a lot of fun watching him play. And he's had some really good games, some games that brought me joy. And they, the coach does something that's called player of the week where every week he picks some of the top players that have done so well. And all the parents are waiting to see, oh, is it my kid, right? You know that feeling, you're like, oh, is it my kid? And week after week, there's typically one boy that's always brought up. It's not Cameron. And it's all the accolades of the scholarship offers he, he's getting and how great he is and how wonderful he is, which is great. He's an amazing player. I'm not putting that down. I've got parents that are like, I want my kid to be the player of the week. And my dad is like, Cameron should be the player of the week. He did good last week. And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, there's not gonna be player of the week in football in heaven. And I was out to dinner with a friend from church a few weeks ago, and I get a call from a mom. Cameron had been at the Thursday night JV game. And at this JV game, the other team, two players got extremely hurt, very bad. Ambulances came, fire trucks came, and they took these boys away and they actually called the game off. This mom called me to tell me that Cameron was in the 50 yard line and he had both teams out there, coaches, players, cheerleaders, all on bended knee and he was in the middle praying for the boys. Ladies, that's joy. That's what matters. And when I heard this, I got text messages from people, from coaches, from teachers, sending me pictures of this, of this moment. And all I could think about was his leader, Pang. Pang and other people that have invested in my son's life, they're the ones, I'm not boasting in my son, I'm boasting in the people that have invested in him, that have made him who he is, and those are the ones that I wanted to thank. I told them, I'm not saying this, I'm not sending you this, because I want to give Cameron any credit, but thank you for being the one to make my son who he is today. They're the ones when they see Jesus Christ that they're gonna be able to boast and have the crown knowing that Cameron is there. Ladies, that is joy. That is the kind of joy that we need to have. 
Paul spoke of this kind of joy of the Thessalonians, not his family, but he believed that they were his family. That's how he felt about them. Can you say the same thing for someone in church? Is there someone here that maybe you've invested in, that now you're seeing the fruits of the things that you've talked to them about, that they've become a Christian, and now you see them serving in other ministries? They're not only have you taken them through partners, but now you see that that person is taking someone else through partners. They're serving, they're growing. You see maybe some kids that you've led in Awana, and now you see that they're serving in other ministries throughout the church. We see this in 3 John 4. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This passage is not referring to biological children, but church family. When I hear that those Christians are living for Jesus Christ, that is my greatest joy. That is what this passage is saying. And Paul's life was dedicated to winning souls, and he didn't care who it was. In 1 Corinthians 9:19, Paul is running a race to win souls, people. In verse 19, Paul says, "For though I am free from all, I made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law." To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul is racing to win souls, and he is anticipating rejoicing with them in heaven. Can we, like Paul, make that our aim? Some of you are already doing that, and it's great. And you see, I see the church family getting together all the time, and it's wonderful. You take someone through partners, you grow in this relationship, and you have this bond, and you do things together. And it's fantastic. But we can't be so exclusive that we're not willing to let anyone else into our little group. I wanna remind you we're not done. Obviously, Christ hasn't come back, we're all here, right? So we have more people to bring into our family. We have more people that we need to invite to women's Bible study. We have more people we need to invite to church. Don't get comfortable with your own inner circle that you're not willing to let someone else in. Maybe our next fellowship, we could choose as our group to go and evangelize together right? And then you guys can um, celebrate together as maybe you see someone else um, come to Bible study with you and church. That would be worth celebrating. We have a couple of events that are coming up. We have the Women of Faith and invite people to Women of Faith. We have the Christmas coffee. Ladies, opportunities like the Christmas coffee and our spring tea, can I encourage you to instead of deciding and calling the people in your group and saying, hey, let's go to the Christmas coffee, why don't you buy the four ticket max that you're allowed to buy and invite people that don't go here so that we can expand our family. I did that this week. I've got one ticket left. If you're new to women's Bible study and you want to go to the Christmas coffee, please come to me after and go with me. I have someone from Tuesday morning, that woman is coming with me to the Christmas coffee. And I have a connection through Stephanie. She told me that if more come up and want more tickets that are brand new to Compass Bible Church, she'll make it happen. So if you're brand new to Compass Bible Church and you want to be part of this family and you want to grow and you want to meet more people, please come to the Christmas coffee. The spring tea, instead of 
finding a group at the spring tea where you're gonna invite all your friends to be there from our church family, why don't you buy a table and host us a table and then invite people that don't go here to come and be your guests? God has given each of us a sphere of influence outside of the church. What are you doing to evangelize to them and have them be a part of our family? You know, going through this passage, um, I thought a lot about the saying, you don't know what you have until it's gone. Thinking how much Paul thought of that, the time that he spent with the Thessalonians when he was there, how much he probably missed them. And it made it worse because he was gone, right? Absent makes the heart grow fonder. Well, our passage, the, um, the title of our passage this week is Encouraging Words. Imagine for a moment if your words were taken away and you couldn't speak. This happened to someone that I love very, very much a couple weeks ago. She woke up and she couldn't talk. I was called to go over to her home and I saw the fear in her eyes as she could not articulate a word. I called 911, we went to the hospital, went to the emergency room, and I can tell you she is fighting with speech therapy to get her words back. If you couldn't speak tomorrow and you woke up and you couldn't write a letter to encourage someone or you couldn't speak a word out of your mouth, how would that change things? How would that change things differently today? And for most of us, you'd probably think of all the, your family members that you would wanna reach out to, but what about right here in our church family? I challenge you this week, look around the room can we seek out opportunities to use our words to have face-to-face -face fellowship and contact with one another? Face-to-face -face encouraging words to encourage one another. Sometimes those words are words that we need to call people out on stuff and that's hard. But if you love someone, you'll do that. That, my friends, is what's gonna matter at the end of our lives. John Wesley wrote this. He said, do all the good you can by all the means that you can, in all the ways that you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you can. And that should be our goal. Let's pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, I, um, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for what a privilege it is that we have access to your word at any moment in our laps, on our computers, on our phones, that you can encourage us throughout our life and our walk. And I thank you so much for Paul and the man that he is and how he's influenced so many of us, God. I thank you for the people in this church that have invested in me and so many women um, that come here, God. I ask a special blessing on all of those people that are already investing in so many others, God. I thank you for our church, and all the opportunities that they give us to have this face-to-face -face contact and to grow as a church family and to have a church family. There's so many people out there that don't have that. As I drive down the street and I see people that feel so isolated and alone, God, we don't have that, we have each other. God, I pray that this message will spur one another on to just grow closer, to be more intimate, to be more vulnerable with one another, God. I pray for all these women. I ask um, that the group time will be um, will be open, that people will open up their hearts and their lives to each other, God. And we pray all these things in your perfect holy name. Amen. You are dismissed.